Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me voice actor Spike Spence, who is Shinji Ikari from Neon Genesis Evangelion, Rolo Lamparouge from Code Geass, Akito Tenkawa from Martin's Successor, and Hanatoro Yamada from Bleach, to name a few. So thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, man, how are you? Doing great. And it's such an amazing experience to have you on, being that you've done so many great roles. And I'm really curious, and I bet a lot of my listeners are extremely curious how did you first discover voice acting well you're an actor most of us voice actors are full-on actors and i was in houston started around 92 when i was doing a live action film with amanda win lee who if you know plays ray in evangelion in the original series and she's basically my sister now we're family but i met her on the set and we were all just cracking up and having a great time and then she said hey you know you ought to come do some of this dubbing thing for anime i'm like what's that and she said, it's Japanese animation. We dub it into English. I'm like, what, like cartoons? And she said, not really. I said, okay, does it pay? And she said, yes. I said, I'm there. Because <laughs> I'm an actor. So that's how I got started with AD Vision back in the day and did lots of work with them. And then I moved to LA in 2005 and the rest is history. So coming into this voice acting world, did you have any prior experience dealing with voice acting? Like I said, being an actor, I went to the University of Houston. I've got a baccalaureate degree from the honors program, majoring in drama from U of H. Woohoo! And nobody really cares. But I learned a lot. I have formal training and all of that in all sorts of things, but none of it really prepares you for actual voice acting. So I did it straight on from jump in the booth and I've learned a lot from everybody along the way. And now one of your first roles is Super Atragon. How did this come yeah. about and what was it like preparing for your first audition? That was my very, very first audition and I was there with Matt Greenfield. I got a little bitty role in it and like any other audition, they say, okay, go in the booth, put on the headphones. When you see this scene, read the script along with the scene as you do it. I said, okay. So basically as most actors, I just do what I'm told. Matt directed me on that one, and it was simple. And then I got lead in with Coden. And then I think the very next one was Shinji for Evangelion. And then right after Evangelion, you had mentioned Martian successor Nadesco, and I was Akito Tinkawa. And that was pretty much right after we finished Evangelion. I think we were doing some at the same time. If you like Evangelion, you definitely want to see Nadesco because there are some direct scenes that we did that are directly referencing Ava. And now, before we dive into Evangelion, what was the dubbing scene like when you first started, especially with ADV films? Well, back in the day, son, we used to have to do it without all that rigmarole. Basically, what we did was we play the scene and read the script, and we had to match it the best we could because there really wasn't much moving around they could do back then. If you had to scream for 30 seconds and you missed it, you had to scream for another 30 seconds. There were a lot of scream on the series, so we did a lot of that. It's just more difficult back then. And they would play the Japanese the language very low in the headset so you could get a feel for how long it took and all of that. It was very much done by feel. And now it's great. You've got the beeps, you know when to start, and they can cut it and splice it and stretch it and all kinds of great stuff. It's actually gotten easier. And now we got to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion as Shinji. How did this opportunity come about? I was working at ADV and I had just finished a couple of projects there. We had the auditions and I auditioned for it and I got it. And Matt has been kind enough to say that nobody else could do that role. There's so many talented actors out there, but he said there was just something about the way I did it that he said, 
that was dead on. None of us had any idea that it was going to be big. Not a clue. We were just doing the best work we could and turned out pretty nice, I think. And how do you feel that it turned out so big? Oh, gosh, I just feel awful. I just feel terrible. Oh, it's terrible being invited to conventions all over the world. People wanting my autograph. Yeah, that sucks. That's sarcasm, people. Da -da 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 -da. And Shinji, as everybody knows who watched the anime and watched the movies, which we're going to talk about, is very interesting. How did you get into his mindset? to really bring his character to life. When we started it, Matt never let us know what the ending was. We were going along every episode, and we did not know what was happening. So we had to be really in the scene. And we were all professional actors, so it was an acting exercise. If Shinji's crying, I was crying. If he's screaming and flailing about, I'm screaming and flailing about. I was trying to be as true to the character as I possibly could. Go as deep as you can get with the role, as I was trained to do. And there's plenty to it. It's funny because people like going, Mike, hate Shinji. I'm like, no. No, not particularly, but you wanted to man up after a while. But there's a lot. Even though he's whiny and brooding and all of that, he still gets in and fights. He's scared. He's got daddy issues. He's got all this stuff going on, but he still fights on. He keeps going. He keeps going. The world keeps getting weirder and weirder, and he keeps going. So something heroic in that. As the series progresses, he fights and he fights and he kind of saves the world. How do you feel that you matured his voice and you grew as Shinji throughout this entire series? Well, it's actually funny because we did the full 26 episodes, and that was back in 94. Then there was Death and Rebirth, a director's cut, End of Ava, and they were years later. And then I remember doing one of them in 2005 when I moved out here. And then nothing. We didn't know anything was going to happen. And so I had different directors for each of those. Amanda directed me on one or two of them. Then the movie, 1.1, 2.2, 3.3, as they came out, the property went from A Division up to Funimation. So it was a whole new start. So I'd fly out to Dallas to record. And I had worked with Mike McFarland on each one of them, who is one of the funniest human beings on the planet, by the way, just as a side note. And he's just a brilliant director. And we all decided basically we're going to man Shinji up a little bit. So in the film, we say he dropped one ball. So he's a little more manly, just a touch. You can probably hear that in the acting. So just kind of grown along with it. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know how long I can keep rolling with it. But as long as I can talk like an effeminate little girly boy who saves the world with a biomechanical freaking robot, I will. And now to back up a little bit, the movies came out significantly later in 1.1, 2.22, When did you know that you were going to be reprising your role as Shinji in those three movies? As soon as they called me, Mike reached out and said, hey, we got this thing. Let's do it. I said, okay. So I'm very, very happy that they decided to stick with me. Somebody else were to take over now, I think, well, okay, best of luck to them. I wish them all the luck in the world, but sorry, I'm Shinji. I don't care who you are. As far as the English voice goes, that's my role. I just know when they call me, and I'm grateful for every time they do. So whenever 4 comes out, I'm looking forward to working with Mike again. And now 1 and 2 of the movies are somewhat parallel with the series. 1 is then 2 veers <laughs> off. And then three really veers. So obviously one is very similar to the series and then two and three kind of enter new territory. How did you prepare emotionally for what Shinji goes through in two and then really in three? There's a major issue without ruining it for anybody who hasn't seen it. How do you kind of go yeah. into that territory? The way it's 
done, and this is pretty much all anime, we don't know what's going on until we get in the booth. So I've never seen the film. So everything is directed scene by scene. The director's seen it. The director knows exactly where we're going. So we do what the director tells us. If the director says, all right, we need more here. I don't really ask why. I just give them more. And then they explain, it's like, oh, here's what's happening. Got it. Okay, excellent. Then we go and we intensify it as needed. That's how it's always done. So the cool thing is I've done it so long, I'll go years between doing anything and then I come back in the booth and it takes me a couple of minutes and boom, I'm in it. I'm Shinji again. And then it's like putting on a coat. Put on the coat. I'm like, okay, here it is. Let's do this thing. And I'm going to get in the freaking robot. That kind of thing. And so then boom, there I go. And obviously Neon Genesis Evangelion, it doesn't need any introduction. How do you feel that the original series compares to the movies and how do you feel that fans of yours view both of them? Well, I've been told there's good and bad. Everybody has their opinion. The series stands alone. And the remake, 1.1, the budget was more and the animation was better in the movies. I remember seeing 2.2. There was a trailer that gave me goosebumps. And I was like, wow, that is great. I'm excited about this. There are purists who say, you know, I really like the 26th episode more or I like the movies better. Hey, it's up in the air. Whatever you like, you like, and God bless you. But I just hope they keep making them forever and I keep doing them. And now, as much as I love Neon Genesis Evangelion, we have to talk about everything else you've done, which is so much. <laughs> so you've done a lot of other work for ADV films, including yeah. Gum, Dragon Half, Alicia, Blue Seed, Golden Boy, Dirty, Pear Flash, Gunsmith, Cats. We've had several small roles in these animes. How do these small roles typically come up and how do you get into a character that might only appear in one episode or even like a half episode? That still happens today. All of that stuff was done back in the late 90s, early 2000s. The same thing still happens out here in Hollywood. You're going to be this role and it's three, four lines. Or it's a bit part in a series that's going to keep on going. Like recently, I was Saburo. Somebody will know it. I was a member of The Dollars and it was Durarara. And so I had that role. But I would go in and for a session, maybe an hour or two hour session, we would knock out several episodes. I only have like two lines in one episode or three in another and that kind of thing. So we just go boom, 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 knock them out. So it's like anything else. It's a gig. You go into the booth for as long as you're in there and then you leave. And the fun thing is there's always something different. Right now I'm on a couple of different shows. I'm playing a meat sandwich, a moldy old hunk of cheese. I'm playing a magical cat in another one for Barbie. Just crazy things that happen. It's like, honey, what did you do today? I was a cat. Okay, great. <laughs> it's a very odd world, but it's a lot of fun. And another role that we have to talk about that many fans love is you as Marth in Fire Emblem for ADV films. And again, these are so long ago. But when they redid Fire Emblem, I was in the new Fire Emblem a few years back. I played a character called... Axelis or something like that. I think it was Axelis. I forgot, but I am in. See, I did not reprise the role as Prince Marth, but I was in it. And you're asking me to remember back a very long time ago, but I do remember. I really enjoyed it. And whenever I heard it was going to be more Fire Emblem going on, I'm like, hello, Prince Marth here. Hello. And Fire Emblem is one of the most respectable franchises in video game realm, for lack of a better word yeah. here. What is it like for you to have that honor of being somewhat included in that franchise's history. Oh, it's great. Are you kidding me? Like, I was the Prince Marvel, so I got that going for me. 
And now we got to talk about this anime, which directly has some scenes that rival Neon Genesis Evangelion. Martian successor, Nadesco. It's all yours. Akito Tinkawa. It was fun because, one, he likes to cook, and so do I. So I was like, I'm immediately liking this guy. But there was a couple of fun scenes in there that you'll see. He goes into a big fight in his big mech, and then he runs away. And I asked Matt if I could put this line in there, and you'll hear him say, Dig me, I'm running away! And that's directly at Shinji not running away. So that was kind of fun. And there's little bits in it where you'll see it and they'll go, that reminds me of Ava. There's something in there. That was a lot of fun. And I still get people who bring me stuff at conventions and I sign those. Not as many anymore, but there's still some big fans out there. So thank you for liking me, people. An anime typically has a very, very tight budget of what can be said in that time frame. What is it like when you get to contribute a line that you come up with in an anime? Oh, it's cool. It doesn't happen very often, but... It doesn't really do anything special for me. I don't get a writing credit or anything like that. It's only happened a, a few times, but it's fun, especially if you haven't seen the end of the original 26 episodes, the rant, the Shinji rant at the end. It's on YouTube somewhere. You got to check it out because that was me making everything up at the end because I did not know what was going on. So when it ends and the big blue ball and everything, I'm like, wait a minute what matt what so i said can you just open up the mic and let me talk for a minute i'm gonna rant he said go for it so you'll hear it and that was completely made up off the cuff and it's a classic apparently so you'll want to check that out it's out there somewhere and what is this like for you that they trust you enough to just rant and have a little bit of freedom in certain animes oh it's liberating this was a long time ago and you can say whatever you want and they can put it out there or not but it ended up on one of the box sets or something and it's funny because there are so many outtakes of every voiceover actor in Hollywood, in the world. There are so many outtakes of them. It's hysterical. And some of them get released and you get to hear them. But there's an awful lot that will never see the light of day, thank God. I was actually working on one with Star Ocean 2 with my buddy Richard Epgar. And we were all throwing crazy things out and bloopers and very off-color words and the sound engineer was editing it all together as we went along and it was hysterical he made it into a, almost a side movie it was really brilliant and just it crack you up and how do you feel about anime because it's somewhat of a direct product where the animation is already done and really all that has to happen is the sound needs to be inputted at least for when it's dubbed over, how do you feel how fast that process is and actually that you get to see your own work? It's great. It's so stylized that there is actually a style of anime voice acting that people out here, if you're auditioning for something else, they'll say, no, no, you're animating. Don't animate. This is different. And you're like, oh, okay. I don't really know what that sound is for me, but because I do so many different categories, but whenever somebody tells me, it's like, oh, okay, I think I get it. And I pull back a little bit because it's more stylized. It's bigger, usually a little bit campy in some places, a lot campy in some places, but it's quite interesting. And I love doing it. I love Japanese everything. I've been to Japan. I had my head shaved by a Buddhist monk at a Buddhist temple in Mount Koya many years ago. And I cook Japanese food and I love it. I'm very honored that I get to participate. And following this, to get back to some other roles you've done, you were Kununibu in Battle Royale, whose name I probably said wrong, who's had a very gruesome death. What was that small uh -huh. role like? I played three characters 
in that one. So I had an axe to the head. I got shot, I think. And then, oh, this is the kid who had the thing around his neck explode, right? That might have been one of them, but this was, I think, one of the first deaths who got shot in the classroom. Yeah, no, that's his neck explodes. See, it was funny because Amanda had showed me Battle Royale years ago. And it just came to me out here. There's a little bitty studio out far to the west. And every now and then they'll get a little something. And they'll contact me and said, hey, we've got this thing we're doing. I said, well, what is it? And they said, Battle Royale. I said, I'm there. I don't care what I got to do. I will show up and you put me somewhere. And I ended up doing like three roles. It was great. I just thought that was a classic. And now I kind of want to talk about some of your more recent roles, starting with Mar as Quinta Tornisu. That was so much fun. I loved doing that. That was one of my first series when I got out here, and I had a great time. So much fun to do that role. And that's one of the times when I went to a convention and caught the con crud, came back to L.A., and we were recording Mare, and I lost my voice for a couple of weeks, and it was rough. But we finally got back on track and got it done, but that was great. I worked with PCB, and they're an amazing, amazing group, and it was so awesome to work on that. And also around this time, you worked on Busso Rankin. And I was Papillon. And that is one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite of all time. He was just so crazy out there, and it was so much fun. I got to be able to be completely crazy with it. And I couldn't move. The microphone was so sensitive, it could read my thoughts. It was crazy. So I had to sit there very, very quietly and not move too much, which was fine for the role for the most part until it got very active and we had to take a lot of takes because they could hear my clothes rustling. Love Papillon. It was great. And speaking about getting active, do you get active in the booth when you have an active scene? What exactly happens with you and your surroundings? Yeah, I try to be as active as I can, but you're limited. You can only do so much because the mic will pick up. So I do as much as I can. Depending on what the character is doing, I'm doing the same thing, or at least trying to. It just depends because however the character's holding their body matters to how you're holding your body. So you're mimicking the sound, and it comes out. So that's pretty much it. You move as much as you can, but you are restricted. And another role, which is a fantastic role, is in Vampire Night, both seasons, as Takama Ichijo. Let me help you out there before you have a stroke. I love that one. That was a lot of fun. I get a lot of fans bringing me stuff for that one. So it's still popular, I think. And now Vampire Night had a fantastic cast and there were so many great voice actors in it. And I understand that voice acting, you're alone in the booth. But how does that affect you when you know there's such a great cast and that you're surrounded by some of the best in the industry in an anime? Again, it's just awful. Are you kidding me? It's awesome. You know you've got great actors that you're working with. You're part of a great group. Sadly, you don't get to see them very often unless there's a rap party or something like that. But for the most part, you never see them. But it's great. How awesome is that to be able to work with all these great people? And usually, you don't know until later on. It takes some time. Then you find out, whoa, I worked with all those people. Awesome. And now we're going to talk about Code Geass. Your role as Rolo Lamperouge. How did this come about? Again, I auditioned for it and Code Geass too. It's a cool, cool thing and I really enjoy doing it. And I don't know if I can say anything or not, but I'm going to say there might be another appearance 
by Rolo in the near future. Just saying, can't say where or when. Anyway, that was a very cool project to work on. I'm very happy with that. And now Rolo has been compared to Shinji of having a very similar personality as they're both shy and somewhat reserved and they're around the same age. Does that make it easier or harder to voice Rolo as a character knowing that people are kind of expecting that Shinji-esque style? Well, so many of the roles in anime, so many of them are similar. And I know how differences are going to be subtle for most of the parts. You never know what's going to be happening, what you're working with. But that's where the director, their style helps you out. And how many times do you see or hear somebody else in mainstream stuff? And you go, oh, that's the same guy playing basically the same character. You hear it all the time. And not a big deal. Like H. John Benjamin sounds like H. John Benjamin and everything. He's great. He's hysterical. So there you go. And now a lot goes on with Rolo. For everybody who knows Code Geass, I don't think it's a secret. Rolo dies in R2, saving Lelouch. How did you get into that emotional state of mind? Because that scene where he saves Lelouch and then he's flying away in his mecha and the Geass is going and then it's that entire interaction between the two characters how did you go about preparing for that and how much direction did you have to really capture that emotion i was directed in an acting exercise you do it moment by moment so if i need a few minutes let me get ready for this because i see what's happening here i really need to get into it so give me a second and then i just prepare and relax and open up and get ready for it so that i can really give it all i got and the good directors, they say, sure, no problem. They give you the space or they give you directions. Say, okay, now do the same thing, only tweak it this way. Do this, go a little louder here, louder there, whatever. And they help guide you to where you need to be. And I'm very thankful we've got great directors that can do that. And now I don't think this is a secret either. Rolo and Lelouch are brothers. And I use that in air quotes here. How do you feel that your voice matched with Lelouch's voice actor? And going into the character of Rolo, did you hear how Lelouch speak to get an idea? Yeah, in that realm, it really is the director. The director does what they want to do. They'll tell you what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. And we do listen to the Japanese actors to get a feel for the role. And most of the time, we try to match everything that they're doing to stay as true to the characters as we can. Sometimes certain things won't quite translate over, so we have to veer off and do our own thing. But for the most part, we're staying as true to the projects as we can. The director tells us what to do and helps guide us. And still talking about Code Geass and that emotional scene, Rolo dies. How do you feel when your character dies as a voice actor, considering you really go moment by moment when you voice act? Well, let's be honest. We're very sad because that's the end of the check. You're like, oh, I'm dying. Oh, great. Well, I guess I won't be seeing you guys next week. But that's the end of that. It sucks. But who doesn't like doing a good death scene? Really, if you really get to rattle it out, ah, it's, that's kind of awesome. Well, in fairness to the anime, I mean, you did take Shirley with you. I'm not going to lie, that scene made me cry. I've heard that. People would tell me, oh my gosh, I cried. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. When you hear that somebody cries, obviously Rolo kills Shirley. And then when you hear somebody cries because of that scene, how does that make you feel that you successfully did your job? It makes you feel great. It sounds bad. I love making people cry. But that's the effect. 
and we don't get to see any reactions because it's not live theater, obviously. So when we hear somebody affected them that way, that's very awesome. For us, that's like, yes, good job. I did my job well. And that's very satisfying. And now to back away from Code Geass and to really talk about three major roles that you've had in three big shows, starting with Bleach as Hantoro Yamada. What is the story behind uh, getting this role and what is it like to work on? What was once considered to be one of the big three? It was amazing. I loved the fact that I had this great character who had a great arc and I was able to play it for a while. It was just fun. We had some really, really fun times with Hanataro. Really glad that he got pretty popular and it was fun. I also did in Bleach, I was D-Roy. It was a bad guy, which was a lot of fun to throw in there. It was great. I was very, very happy and very pleased with the work. And you were also in several movies with Bleach as well as several video games. What was yep. this like being in not just the anime, but also movies and video game work? It's great. One, they pay better. And it's the same as working on the series. There's really no difference. Except you're going to be fighting and stuff like that. Then you've got to do the series of attacks and getting hit and all of that. And that's a lot of fun. But if anybody's been to one of my convention appearances where I do the How to Be a Freaking Genius voice actor panel, we go through that. And so everybody gets to attack and get attacked and die and all that stuff. It's real fun. And outside of Bleach, we get to talk about one of my favorite animes, Naruto Shippuden. For anybody who knows me, I've interviewed so many people from that show on the podcast. But what was it like working on a few of the episodes of this show, considering that you just came from one of the big three and you're working on another big three? For Naruto, I always did smaller roles on that. But now in Boruto, I am in that. So I was in Naruto, and now I'm in Boruto. And I do have a character. I don't know what the name is of my character right now off the top of my head. So that's happening, and it's awesome. It's one of those that we waited for years. I'm like, all my friends, they're working on it. I'm like, I'm not in it. Ah! And then I get the call, and they're like, hey, we want you to come in and do a character on this awesome thing. I'm like, yes! So it's very cool. Love it. And with Boruto, to talk about that, I mean, it's getting a lot of attention right now. How does that make you feel when you are working on a project and there's a lot of attention driven towards it? Oh, it's great. Are you kidding me? How awesome is that? And it's awesome. It's a great franchise that has been going on forever. And now the spinoff that may go on forever. I don't even know how long it'll last, but I'm very, very happy. I hope it goes on forever. And then the next role I want to talk about, which is really the last one that I want to talk about anime-wise, is you were Majin Buu in Dragon Ball Super, the Bang Zoom Asia edition for Toonami. Not exactly sure what that dub is or what that dub is not, but how did that come about and what exactly is that and what is it like to be involved with this character? Well, finally, all my DBZ friends, like, hey, now I'm one of you guys. I can say I'm in DBZ. What? Yay! It's very, very cool. I'm very excited about it. And I played two roles. I played Gregory, the little ant guy, and Boo or Bui, but only for the Asian market. So nobody here in the States will actually see me in those roles. So I don't really know what that's about. I don't care because I'm in it. Nobody can take that away from me. And everybody knows Dragon Ball Z, who cares where it's being premiered, you're part of it now. 
what is it like to be in this anime that really is this gateway anime in some capacity? It's nice. It's really good to be a part of such a big phenomenon. I'd love to have been there at the beginning, but I never lived in Dallas. So I didn't have a chance. So to be able to at least be a part of it is really, really great. Even if it's smaller parts, but they're solid characters. So now to be able to say, hey, I'm in Bleach, I'm in Naruto, I'm in Boruto, I'm in DBZ. These are big names, big titles. And it's good to be able to slap those on my resume. That's for sure. And to talk about big titles, do you feel that at a certain point in your career, you need certain titles to legitimize who you are? Not really work is work and depending on what you're doing a lot of times pays the same so whether you're working on a big title or a smaller title most of the time you're getting about the same stuff believe me i did not get rich off of evangelion in the entire run i may have made ten thousand dollars and that's a lot of studio time in there's no residuals anything like that so it really has to come down to the work do you like doing the work and is what i'm doing making people happy? Am I entertaining people? Because one of my motto, my goal in life is I want to bring laughter and entertainment to millions of people. That's my goal. And so when I can do that, it makes me very, very happy. It doesn't really matter about the size of the title. Some of the smaller stuff are some of the most popular stuff. If it's big, it's big, and it's popular for a reason. There's a lot of great, great work that you really don't hear about that much. And I get just as jazzed about those as I do about some of the big stuff. And now I kind of want to just switch one more time here and cover something very briefly that we didn't dive into. You have done a lot of cartoon work, including Lego Friends, Peter Rabbit. I believe you were in something with Barbie. Just to name a few, how does American cartoon work differ from anime? Well, there are different acting styles. So a lot of that, if it's original animation, the way it works is if you're doing dubbing, you're in the booth by yourself and you're matching mouth flaps and the script is there and everything. If it's original animation, a lot of times you're working in the booth with other actors. I did Get Blake, a series for Nickelodeon, which is a lot of fun. I was Mitch and my buddy Robbie Damon was Blake. And we fought alien space squirrels like you do. And it was so much fun. You can look it up on YouTube, Get Blake. And that's one of my favorites. But when you're in the booth, you get to really work back and forth. And that's so much fun. It really, really is. So original animation allows you a little bit more communication with the other actors. I mean, you get to be there with them. And I think that makes for a lot of fun listening for people watching the show. I think we covered a lot of your career, but we didn't cover all of it. But I kind of want to wrap this up. And I always ask this question to every voice actor. What advice do you have for people who want to get into voice acting? Well, we get asked this all the time, every one of us at every convention. And we always say the same thing. Take acting lessons called voice acting for a reason and then everything else will move from there because that's where you'll start making contacts you'll get better at what you do you'll meet people in the industry and then you'll start networking and building those relationships because that's important 90 percent or more of the jobs that i get even out here in hollywood do not come from auditions from my agent it comes from relationships that i've forged over the years. So friends who I've worked with, they'll call me up and say, hey, you've got an audition. I want you to audition for this thing I'm directing or whatever. And that's very important. So the major number one thing is take acting lessons. And then finally, I always give every single one of my guests the opportunity if they'd like to promote something, Facebook, Twitter, website, anime coming out, con appearances. Well, I don't 
have any con appearances right now. I guess the world doesn't really know. I am about to become a father, so we've got a little baby boy named Declan William Spencer who is going to be joining us sometime in July. So I haven't really focused on doing conventions all that much. I'm going to be at MatsuriCon in Columbus, I believe, in August. That is coming up. And other than that, I have nothing planned, but we'll start booking some more. So if anybody who runs conventions, go to SpikeSpencer.com and get in touch with me because we are definitely going to be open and looking for more stuff. And that's the other thing. I had several different websites, so a lot of people used to know about some different things that I had. We revamped everything, and everything is now going to be at spikespencer.com. And I've got a great site up. My wife did it. It's absolutely phenomenal. And so I send everybody over to spikespencer.com. And if you want to connect, of course, I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page there. I try to keep up with people and, of course, Twitter. So I'm trying to engage as much as I can. But I'm very, very busy, so I'm not always able to do that. And a lot of people know I have two books. I have one called How to Be a Freaking Genius Voice Actor, Step One, and What Happens at the Con Stays at the Con. I still have those available, I think, but I'm working on some other project and I will be letting people know as they come out. There's also don'tkillyourdate.com, which is one of the panels that I do at conventions. It's called Don't Kill Your Date and Other Cooking Tips. And I'm working on a book and it's all about relationships and everything, but it's all about cooking and dating and all of that. I'm a public speaker, so I talk about dating and relationships. So I'm working on a book called Food Game, The Ultimate Recipe for Dating Success. We're in the final stages of that, and I've been trying to get it done for two years now, so I really got to get it done. But that's all happening. So spikespencer.com, don'tkillyourdate.com, check those out. We're going to be revamping the Don't Kill Your Date site soon. I'm on a series right now called The Grocery Gang. That's G-R-O-S. S-E-R-Y. I think it's on YouTube, but the weird thing about that is there are two recordings. So I'm in some of them, some of them I'm not. I don't know how it works. I think it's an Australian product, but I play Meathead, a sandwich, that old moldy hunk of cheese, and a donut so far. So you can look those up. That's a fun one. Of course, Barbie, Dreamtopia. That's what we got so far. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We can be heard on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as you can follow us on Twitter, at popanimecomics. And you can definitely follow us on Facebook, popanimecomics, as I will be giving two panels at AwesomeCon this weekend, and they will both be live-streamed there, one on June 17th at 8.30, and one on June 18th at 11.30 a.m. So definitely check out both of those panels. And we do currently have a Patreon up and running. Every dollar helps keep this podcast active as well as the website active, so definitely consider donating if you like what we do here. And if you can't donate, I completely understand, but feel free to write a review on iTunes, share it on social media. It's always appreciated. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.